This year, we're celebrating 20 years of Glass Tire. That's 20 years of dedicated coverage of Texas art spaces and artists, 20 years of hard work by our editors and writers, and 20 years of showing the world all our state has to offer. Since we're a nonprofit, all of our work is made possible thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you'd like to donate to Glass Tire to keep our work going, you can become a sustaining donor or make a one-time gift at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Also, if you like our podcast, please consider subscribing to us and leaving us a rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. My name is Brandon Zeck. I am Christina Reese. And this week, boy, if it isn't uh, topical, you've probably been seeing headlines about this, whether you follow art media or even, I mean, it's gotten attention in the New York Times, in Bloomberg, on CBS News. It is everywhere right now. Uh, It is NFTs, also known as NIFTs, also known as non-fungible tokens. So... If you aren't like a a Bitcoin, a cryptocurrency person, that's totally fine. Christina and I aren't necessarily cryptocurrency people either. So we've been doing a ton of research about this and I have been reading. uh, We're recording this on Thursday. Um, I have been doing a ton of reading all day and we're going to get into kind of how this started, how it's come about. It's really been in the last couple months Um, particularly the last really two months that it's blown up, even though it's been around for... Well, we should tell people, and they will have seen this if they read the New York Times or almost any other major newspaper, what happened yesterday at Christie's? Oh, today. Was it today? Today. So there was a sale of a uh, digital artwork by an artist known as Beeple, and it was sold for $69.3 million at Christie's. It was a one-piece sale. The sale went on for a couple weeks, um, and there was like a last-minute bidding war that jacked it up to $69.3 million. And for reference, uh, that beat auction records by uh, a ton of artists that you're familiar with, people like J.M.W. Turner, Surratt, Francisco Goya. It also made Beeple, this digital artist, the third highest, uh, the third most expensive living artist at auction after Jeff Koons and David Hockney. That's right. Which in itself is amazing. Um, But so before we get too far into it, we're going to, define what nifties are so nft nifties we'll use these terms kind of interchangeably throughout the podcast it stands for non-fungible token and you can basically think of these things as crypto collectibles so they're digital assets that you can buy and sell and when you buy a nifty what you're buying is proof that the digital file that you own is the authentic digital file so there may be copies of them existing you know, across the web, thousands, hundreds, millions of copies, but 
you owe, you actually own it. Everyone else is just kind of using it or looking at it on the internet. You own it. Uh, so you're buying ownership rights. But, but let me just very quickly say, you're not buying necessarily like a video by Chris Burden. You're buying a kind of a, generally speaking, the kind of art or what we might put in quote marks art that is associated or with each token tends to be kind of a, almost a, a meme or sort of almost like a trolley sort of image. So in other words, the art itself isn't necessarily the value. Go ahead. Yeah. And well, also we're in kind of like the heyday of nifty speculation right now. So all of that, you know, grain of salt and the way that you can buy the original is that each nifty has identifying information embedded within it, making each one unique. The, the fungible word and non-fungible token means that each one is unique. So if Christina and I give each other a Bitcoin, I give Christina my Bitcoin, she gives me her Bitcoin, we each have one Bitcoin. They're interchangeable. It's like normal currency. If I give Christina a nifty that I own and she gives me a nifty that she owns, we have just traded drastically different things that are unique to one another. So now she owns mine. She owns the one that I used to own and I own the one that she used to own. Um, so because nifties have identifying information, each one can only be held by one person, which means that it's something that can be collected and then prices are driven up and nifties are run on the Ethereum blockchain. So if you don't know what blockchain is, um, basically blockchain or the blockchain way of ownership or of cataloging things is that the ownership of something or the transactions are recorded on a digital ledger. And that digital ledger is blockchain. And since the ledger isn't stored in one place, it's stored over a number of systems and computers. There's not a single copy of it. That way it can't be changed or manipulated and it can be referred back to and everyone um, everyone is able to see and trace provenance of transactions of objects of you know all of these things including nifties uh, Christina is that clear <laughs> do you have anything to add I will say that for those of you who might be listening who are like hey god I'm not I'm really having listen Basically, it's a kind of currency that's decentralized and people have have figured out a way to sort of attach essentially a visual digital file to it as a marker. Again, the imagery itself is not important, at least not yet. Um, right now, a lot of it is just it's like tech bro dudes who are just attaching memes to these. It's a, it's a speculative financial market is what it is. In that sense, it's nothing new. What there are some aspects to it that could potentially help restructure the idea of how to deal with additioned works or digital artworks ultimately, but we're not quite there yet. Right now, all of this, you know, this rash of massive media coverage is around the money and the fact that Christie's jumped into this and made bank today is <laughs> not surprising. The people who are most interested in this right now are people who are very, very interested in money. They're interested in trading. These things aren't necessarily meant to be bought and kept. They're meant to be flipped. That's the point. Um, that's how they gain value. And and people are very who are also very attracted to a kind of the exclusivity of it, the exclusivity of ownership. And it go it rides to me, it rides very against the sort of 
overriding philosophy that we kind of would have associated with even Silicon Valley or, or just digital pirates, which is that information should be free. Uh, and this is kind of where the buck stops, so to speak. It's like, oh, but not all information, not if we can put a dollar amount on it and make ourselves rich this way. So similar to how a lot of people have never gotten interested in the stock market or hedge funds, a lot of people will never become interested in this kind of thing because it's basically just moving a whole lot of money around. Well, and one of the interesting things that I feel like a lot of articles about art-related nifties don't really... Uh, doesn't really address is that what you're calling the artwork, the digital file isn't necessarily on the blockchain or isn't necessarily stored in this network. It's almost like what's stored in the network is your certificate proof of ownership and your certificate of authentication. But that file, you know, the JPEG that you bought or the GIF that you bought or whatever that file is, the video, it might be stored on a server of like the, the, platform that you bought it from or that you're trading it with people on. So, you know, in terms of ownership, it really is just like digital trading cards. Um, And that's kind of what Nifty's started as in a way, like we're talking about it in an art context and we're going to be focusing on that. But right now, uh, probably because, I mean, Nifty's are so popular and so much in the zeitgeist, Anything can be a nifty because the only thing a nifty is, is the metadata of a thing. So it could be a video game character skin or a URL or a contract or a tweet. Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, is selling his first tweet as a nifty. And basically, it's almost like if you're thinking about nifties as trading cards, it's basically like he's signing his trading card or he's signing his rookie card and giving it away. Other people can still see the tweet. They have the the card itself, but you have, if you bought it, you have the signed rookie card. You have the signed card. Yeah. This is where I run into my own wall. It's like, I don't understand the psychological appeal of that. It's like, I, I can look up Jack Dorsey's first tweet and then there it is. And that's kind of the whole point of tech of digital technology is having instant access to all of these things as, as much as our next door neighbor and the person across the street and everyone else in the, in the planet does. That's what's so counterintuitive about this to me, because it's it's making it's trying to make something exclusive that is already out there and as as accessible to everyone as everyone else already. But they're gonna they're they're kind of cramming a monetary a type of value onto it that is. Um, I'm telling you what it feels like right now, and I realize this could shift, but right this second, it just feels like people who, who have way, way too much money and time on their hands um, have just figured out a way to kind of make novel something about cryptocurrency because that's what they're into and that's what they're geeking out on. And it didn't start with art. It started with uh, sports highlights. It started with... Um, uh, video video games. Yeah. yeah, buying a video of a LeBron James dunk and you like own the video and it was sold by or partnered with the NBA. Um, the video that everyone else can watch at a moment's notice anytime they feel like 
sitting down in front of a screen. The concept of NFTs or nifties has been around for a little while. Um, there have been some projects that artists did, I think all the way back to 2014 with Rhizome, which is a wonderful, um, which is a wonderful kind of digital art platform, uh, kind of headquartered out of the new museum. Um, but this summer and fall and now into this new year is when they've really picked up. And Christina, you said it, but I think one of the real reasons is just because of the money, because right now that's, that's all this is. The image doesn't matter. It's, it's a boom that people are capitalizing on and, you know, making thousands of dollars with relative or millions of dollars and you know um it reminds me very much of just it was was it a month ago that the GameStop uh stock was and and so what you see also are people who kind of think of themselves as disruptors you know this is people who they're what's dovetailing in their set of interests would be money uh social media exclusivity um a kind of you know uh, kind of what what is Facebook's uh, what's Mark Zuckerberg saying? Move fast and break shit. I mean, it's people who have that kind of point of view. It's that it's I can just see all these you know working artists in Texas sitting around scratching their head, going, "And how do I get on all this?" Because damn, you know, it's a tremendous amount of money for the people who have learned to game that system. But that's what it is. I mean, like the stock market and what we've kind of seen Wall Street what's happening with Wall Street and some things that were uncovered, especially about Wall Street with the GameStop gaming of the system, was that this all is just like a giant casino. It's speculative financial tools. And I don't know exactly when or if a really what we would think of as a kind of a legitimate work of art is going to be attached to this kind of thing. It's going to happen quickly, I'm sure, if it hasn't already um, oh, I mean, I was actually, Christina, looking at one of these uh, platforms. There there are a few kind of main platforms that uh, are selling nifties. Um, there's a platform called Super Rare that's kind of one of the leading players in digital art. Uh, but there was a piece by Petra Courtright that sold today for something around $25,000. Um, and also uh, we're not going to get too much into this, but the currency that nifties are being purchased with, it's not us dollars. It's ether, which is the Ethereum blockchain currency. It's like, it's a different kind of digital coin, right? It's Bitcoin under another name, more or less, uh, for your understanding of it. But, um, there are real artists at this point that are, wading into the water. And again, because there's money and because there's demand, you know, this may be oversimplifying, but to an extent, it makes sense that there is a class of people who have been so involved in kind of online life and in crypto for such a long time investing that it's logical for them to want to use, uh, that, investment in that currency to buy things that are then online. Like it's, it's just kind of a natural progression of online life in a way, I think. 
Um, but isn't the timing of this really, really strange? Because we're, we are, at this point, we are now one year into lockdown, pandemic lockdown, where everyone who has had the means or the or not, I mean, people have been forced to sit inside their homes, and, term, and most of us have been online a lot, a lot, a lot. And most of us are dying to get away from that. They're, it's like, it's time to get it back out in the world and have human connections and see stuff in person and have tangible experiences. And the whole idea of looking at a screen and, and ascribing, you know, millions of dollars worth of value to an image that any single person can watch, you know, and, the, and here's the thing again about the imagery that has been thus far connected to this stuff primarily, that again is not the important part of it. So you're not going to have a transformative art experience looking at this image. That's not, it almost seems like that's, it could be against the point. I mean, for the disruptors, I think that that is, that's why they make such trolly memes and then sell them. But, um, I just think that the timing of this is, it's almost like a weird, like, last gasp of pandemic lockdown, digital, you know, fascination and geekdom. It's like they're just hanging on to the power that they have over this domain while they still have people locked indoors and paying attention to this stuff. Because it's only a matter of months before people start spilling out of their houses and they stay out for the next (laughs) three years because they're not going to want to be at home online. Christina, I agree with you. And I don't, I don't want to get too armchair psychologist with this, but I do think there's just an inherent sense of like, being able to use your crypto money to buy crypto things. You know, if you're rich in ether, or if you're rich in Bitcoin, being able to pay, you know, to, to drop what's an absurd amount of ether or Bitcoin to be able to buy this like $25,000 painting or this 60, $69 million JPEG. Uh, by the way, for this sale that happened today, Christie's said that they would for the first time, accept cryptocurrency as payment. Um, whether that's actually going to happen or not r- remains to be seen. However, the buyer decides to pay whoever they are. Um, but I think there's a form of like self-validation and like this is important and I've invested so much in this and now I'm able to do so much with it that just kind of propels things like this, whether it matters in the real life or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's going to be so few real-life implications to this, although we can get into that in just a second in terms of, like, what what are some of the potential upsides of this and restructuring things about the art market and what are some of the real downsides of this? We're going to take a quick break, um, and we'll be back. This week's podcast is sponsored in part by the Art Museum of Southeast Texas and their exhibition Delita Martin Conjure, which runs from March 13th till May 23rd. Martin's 21 new portraits of Black women present viewers with a profound celebration of Black women's lives and experiences. Martin creates her portraits as monoprints through silkscreen and printing techniques, drawings, decorative papers, hand stitching, and gold leaf. The Art Museum of Southeast Texas is located at 500 Main Street in Beaumont, Texas. For more information, visit AMSET, that's A-M-S-E-T, dot org. And we're back. So... 
Christina, one of the things that's, uh, if not obvious by this point, it makes sense once you think about it, but this work, unlike paintings or photographs or drawings or, you know, any real tangible artwork that's bought and sold, if a gallery sells these things, they don't have to store them. They don't have to pay rental fees for storage spaces. Same thing with auction houses. Auction houses don't have to get these pieces shipped to the auction house in Hong Kong or London or New York to show them to people because these things are all digital. And this is a weird kind of convergence of, it seems like the perfect storm because there's not a ton of expenses around this. Well, and you don't have to tr- you don't have to travel anywhere to go see the work either. There's no art fair involved with it. But but we need to bring up what is a huge concern by a number of pretty leading people in the industry, including Bill Gates, which is this is not an environmentally responsible <laughs> movement. The movement of cryptocurrencies around. Uh, takes so much power to generate out of these massive uh, banks that um, I don't know, some of the statistics are actually quite staggering in terms of how much power it needs in order to even happen. And it is absolutely, it's, it's really degrading to the environment. I mean, it's, we worry about hopping on an airplane to go see an international art fair. Well, making, doing one buy, one purchase on these can burn up that much and much, much, much more energy. Yeah. And the reason for that is with Bitcoin, with uh, anything that kind of has a blockchain and has all of these computers working together. Um, I'll use Bitcoin as, a, as an example, because maybe it's kind of the most easily explainable, at least for me. So Basically, computers, and I'm uh, for anyone who's intimately familiar, I'm probably going to drastically oversimplify this, but go with me for a second. Um, so basically, computers go through complex computer logic math problems to quote unquote find bitcoins. Bitcoins exist and have to be found through these intensive computer processes. And then as Bitcoins are found, the math problems get harder. So then it takes more computing power to find Bitcoins. So, you know, this started years ago when this concept was kind of first developed. And nowadays, Bitcoins are so hard to find that there are, and actually this is, it's been this way for years, but there are server computer farms that produce so much physical heat and take up so much energy that it's just ecologically horrible, horribly harmful, uh, to run them. And that's what Christine is talking about. Like one of the things, um, is when nifty artworks are minted, which minting means adding them to the blockchain, uh, whoever's doing that, which is most of the time it's the artists themselves. Um, they have to foot like a tax essentially, which is called gas. And it's aptly named because it's the cost of the energy to get that nifty artwork or that nifty document uploaded to the blockchain. I mean, the cost is real and that that gas tax varies depending on kind of what the demand is. I would imagine right now when nifties are so big and kind of booming and everyone's probably trying to get in that artists are having to pay, you know, a, a pretty little penny to get stuff uh, uploaded onto the chain. As these tokens 
become more and more expensive. Is there any more energy associated with that? Yeah, there's there's a really good article on this, actually. A few people have written on it, but particularly enlightening. There's an article by Everest Pipkin, who's an artist uh, who is based here in Texas uh, for a little while, left for a little while, and is back right now. They are currently a resident at the Galveston Artist Residency. Um, we'll link it in the uh, the related readings to this podcast, but they published a great piece on Medium kind of outlining how cryptocurrencies are, are, are so intensively tied to energy consumption. Um, and it's just kind of, it, it doesn't, it's not obvious at first, but it just kind of perpetuates itself. And the more cryptocurrencies are made and the more people invest in them, the more energy it takes to keep them up. And it's this, it's this really odd cycle. Well, so this, this brings me back to kind of questions about timing. So first of all, this uh, big rush on NFTs is coming up as the pandemic is, as people are reaching herd immunity, getting vaccine and getting, getting out there. So I, I would say within a few months time, people aren't going to be much talking about this, except for, again, vast sums of money. Number two, as more people have become that much more aware of the environmental disaster that is awaiting us and have started to think a little bit longer and harder about that, especially as they've been locked down and reading about it all the time, that this whole phenomenon comes along that's just like, you know, an energy-eating monster. And number three, as people have become that much more sensitive and aware of economic inequality, um, there's this whole new rush of news about people who are throwing vast sums of money around Toward, the, toward things that are not really making meaningful change in the world. When I talk about disruptors, I'm kind of talking about almost the equivalent of just, it's just like, it's, it almost feels like a giant trolling phenomenon. It's like we are going to thumb our nose at the shit that everyone is really paying attention to and what they care about right now, which to me is just, you could say that this is a very punk rock. To me, it's just, it feels, I wish Mike Judge was making Silicon Valley right this <laughs> second because uh -huh. he could ha he could just really have so much fun with this topic. And some of the characters I could see being who would have really interesting things to say about it, including Guilfoyle. But um, I think that there's a certain element of, of moneyed exclusivity and kind of a brainy nerdiness that's attached to this that that's very self-congratulatory and and i think that they like the exclusivity of it the same way people who play the stock market like the exclusivity of it and the fact that it's a little bit hard to master unless you've got a lot of time and money on your hands anyway i mean working class people people who have regular jobs and regular lives and are raising kids and trying to pay the bills they don't have a natural entry point to this. Neither does, you know, your standard artist, whatever that means. There's no standard artist, but you know what I'm talking about. There's no, it's the fact that it t takes 15 minutes just to describe what this is. They love that. They love the fact that it's hard to get and that it's hard for the olds to get and that it's hard for older collectors and older legacy galleries to get. Um, I, I feel like that's a part of the psychology behind this is this, this kind of, it's very online. I'll say that, um, there was a rough breakdown of the people who were bidding on the piece that sold today at Christie's for 
$69 million. And uh, it was many millennials. It was very few boomers. It was mostly millennials and Gen X, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And Christina, you're totally right that the whole thing about nifties and crypto art and kind of even general just cryptocurrency culture is that it's overwhelmingly white and male. And it's, it's so privileged. I mean, in order to, in order to have extra money just to kind of throw into the, uh, excuse the pun, but to throw into the ether, um, you have to be in a place where you have excess money to throw into the ether because it's not even in what could be counted as like a, a guaranteed investment, like a CD or something like that. It's, it's really just, you're playing this market and you have to have time. You have to have the knowledge to get in and to do it. But then you also have to have to have the, the uh, luxury of time in order to monitor it and to just kind of keep your finger on the pulse. And And really to make it work, you have to be somebody who's willing to aggressively buy and sell. I mean, that's part of it too. Um, I feel like, I feel like one of the reasons that the artwork itself, if we want to call it that, that's attached to this imagery isn't art as we know it. I mean, if you think about tech bros and the kind of stuff that they start to collect and put on their walls, especially when they first start out, I mean, it's a lot of like, I mean, I'm sorry. It's not, it's not art. It's, I I don't know what it is. It's decoration. (laughs) You know, a lot of it is inspired by street art. And um, this kind of explains some things about cause and his, um, you know, his popularity. But there's not a lot of t- there's not a lot of um, connoisseurship. And I and I think that you know the art world itself is, has also been an overwhelmingly white and exclusive place. Let's not make any bones about it. But you know that tech bros get their nose out of joint when they're told that the shit that they like isn't very good. And I, and they like the lull, they like the lulls. They like to troll that shit is what they're doing. So of course, if they put a pretty degraded or stupid digital image attached to something that's, you know, $69 million, they're kind of, again, they're kind of owning a lot of people and it's fun for them. I, I, I'm sorry. I just get the, one of the main things that I'm getting out of this is that this is just kind of a giant trolling, uh, movement, except that, then we come around to how this could actually possibly be beneficial in restructuring aspects of the market. There's an interesting kind of dichotomy between the the two camps for this. So the good thing about nifties is they're a way for people who make digital art to be able to monetize their creations and sell them. The flip side of that is uh, some people think about digital art in the pleasure in it is that everyone can own the original and nifties kind of take away and say and give that ownership to a specific person so people can still have the file but they don't own it versus the christina your uh what you were saying earlier about the internet being you know kind of a free-for-all where everyone can own images and information um where it really gets interesting i think is in the resale of nifties because uh, this is a topic that you and I, I think, have mentioned just kind of in passing before whenever we've talked about galleries and auctions. Oh, I think we've done a partial segment on an art dirt about Duat de Suite and resale and, and royalties, which we, we don't have a system for that in the U.S. There is something of one in Western Europe. But the fact that an artist can 
sell their original painting for $10,000 and then a year later it could go to auction and sell for $10 million and that artist gets zero, zero money for that resale. One a great thing about NFTs, and it may really restructure the market, I have got to say, is that you can build into your blockchain info the fact that the money's coming back to the art. These artists are getting paid over and over every single time the thing is flipped. And they can also not only specify that a certain amount of money comes back to themselves, they can specify any amount of money going to any entity they want it to go to, including a charity, a gallery, a friend, a family member, whatever they would like. And that's a tremendous amount of control over the original work itself. And in that, it's giving the artist so much more agency over what happens monetarily or financially with their work as it goes up in value. And I think that that's a, a very good thing. Well, and it creates interesting collaborative potential and ways of divvying that, like you say, Christina, like one of the articles that I was reading was talking about how an artist with, I believe it was Bitforms Gallery, um, was able to, you know, normally whenever a gallery sells an artwork for an artist, there's a split between the gallery and the artist. But um, the terms of the nifty was that the artist got an amount and then the gallery got an amount, but that amount was split between the employees of the gallery. So everyone actually benefited monetarily from the sale. It wasn't the gallery getting all this money and not, then not giving the front desk person, you know, any commission from it. So th these are really interesting concepts that I think haven't really been executed traditionally in the past. Definitely, of course, in Drought to Sweet and in terms of allowing artists to benefit from the markup and resale of their work, but in terms of uh, having it I hate to use the word trickle down, but trickle down and actually make a larger effect or even allow people to team up. You know, Christina, if you and I have a, a two person exhibition of nifties, we could say that, you know, we each get half of each other's sales. So let's say all of your work sells out. You would get money for it, but then I would also it's like profit sharing, right? Which is a really interesting concept in a way of maybe kind of bringing bringing something to be a little more equitable. You know, if there are artists who sell a lot, but are kind of built upon the work of artists that don't sell in terms of a gallery stables or, you know, it, anything like that, or artist collectives, especially uh, it's just, I feel like I'm being really vague, but it's because there are just millions of possibilities. With right. It. There's so many applications for that, but I, that's one thing I like because I think that artists have been overlooked again and again and again, historically in how to, um, you know, I, you know, you know, artists, we know artists who make great work and their work resale value is very, very high. And these artists don't live that well. You know, they don't make a lot of money. They don't have a lot of money. They make amazing work. And collectors put this stuff on their walls, and they love it, and it's their trophies, and uh, and the artist is poor. And um, but but another thing is, what do we do with digital art? I mean, Vito Akanji died poor because he made videos, and that's there's something wrong with that because he was so influential, and he made some really really amazing art. And somehow, if somehow in this <laughs> nifty. Uh, cloud, if uh, part of the silver lining is a way for digital artists, r digital artists who are making meaningful work that, you know, 
video Contrans- artists, performance artists, yes. selling documentation, things like yeah, that. Yeah, new media artists, absolutely. If there is a way for them to start to make money off of their work, I am all for it. Because I don't think I, I don't think that great video work is any less important than any other kind of great art. In fact, you know that I'm very very into video work, but um, and it does it really it really bothers me that the, the the great videos out there, you know, that the makers are just sometimes you know they're just uh, they're just they just don't have they just don't make much money, and they know it, and they know it by entering that realm, and it's not fair because if that's what moves them, if that's the work they want to make, that's the work they should get to make, and I don't think that they should be more poor than a painter. Ditto for me with video and also with performance. I mean if you look at auction records of video works or performance works or ephemera or photographs. Yeah. They don't come close to things like paintings or sculpture. Mostly, mostly painting. I mean, that's still the, the big thing. Although now as of, you know, today at Christie's that has been, that has been challenged, you know, it really has. Yeah. Painting and then sculpture or photographs after that. And then, and then, but any additioned works, you know, additioned works tend to tend to there's a trickiness to them. And this is going to challenge that and it's going to have people rethinking how to deal with it. And I I don't think that's such a bad thing. Yeah. Well, and, you know, Nifty's mirror works like that. I mean, Nifty's really do mirror the art world, which is kind of the most interesting thing. It can be one of one, so it can be like a painting, or it can be an edition of a hundred, so it could be like a print. And then like, you know, an edition of prints, each one is unique. So Christina, you could sell your Nifty that's two of a hundred for $50, and then I could sell my Nifty that's three of a hundred, the exact same image, the exact same author, artist, everything, only it's a different work in the edition for $200. It's, it's the exact same model. It's just all virtual. It's all virtual. People have gotten very used to, or had gotten very used to not paying for stuff online, right? You know, for, for so long, people were refusing to pay for movies, uh, streaming shows and music. And then some, some stop gaps have come into play, and now, especially over the pandemic, I'm, I'm sure I, so many people will attest to this, that they started paying for subscriptions. What they're paying for a subscription to, like Netflix, is high-quality content, right? Quality content that entertains them, that um, allows them to be part of a broader conversation if a whole lot of people are watching the same shows, et cetera, et cetera. It's a way to be part of a community. It's a way to get a good narrative. It's a way to see great art that's been made by real human beings, et cetera. So the idea that we're suddenly going to have to start paying for something online that we wouldn't have paid for before, like a cat with a rainbow behind it, is interesting. It's an interesting, it's also part of this kind of time, this weird timing. It's like, what are we willing to pay for if it's been free up to this point? I have a very weird relationship to money. I don't much care about it. It's kind of like what Fran Leibowitz said on Pretend It's a City. It's like, I like things. I like the things that money can buy me, but I don't care about money. And so I don't have any. So um, uh, my relationship to this whole topic is is slightly prickly, but uh, but at the same time, I'm always... I'm always for something that would make 
artists more money. <laughs> I'm always for something that would make that would give an artist more agency over how they buy and sell, or how they present and sell their work and what happens to it after the fact. I'm also, as you would know, I'm always for something that would make an art dealer, a good gallerist, more money. So I hope that I hope that in the end that there that some of this money is ending up in the hands of really good creators and and their custodians, you know. And, um, um, but otherwise I'm kind of looking at this whole thing with a gimlet eye. I'm like, yikes. Yeah, I know what you mean. It'll, it'll be so interesting because, you know, we are recording this podcast right now in the middle of, uh, in the middle of it. (laughs) So in a few months, this could be drastically different. I'll be interested to see in a year if we're still talking about it. Yeah, yeah, I have to wonder. And considering the truly dozens and dozens and dozens of articles that are on every major media outlet, um, you know, it'll be, it will, you're right, a year from now it'll be strange to see where we are with this. And if it makes, if it does make any meaningful changes in the way art is uh, dealt with. We could go on and on about this. There is a huge reading list that we went through and kind of put together for y'all. Check that out in the post for this podcast on Glass Tire. And that's it. That's it. Well, with that, uh, until you get your vaccine, I'd say double mask. Go out and see some art. Go see some art. Thanks to this week's podcast sponsor, the Art Museum of Southeast Texas, and their show, Delita Martin Conjure, which runs March 13th through May 23rd. Martin's 21 New Portraits of Black Women present viewers with a profound celebration of Black women's lives and experiences. Martin creates her portraits as monoprints through silkscreen and printing techniques, drawings, decorative papers, hand stitching, and gold leaf. Amset is located at 500 Main Street, Beaumont, Texas. For more information, visit Amset, that's A-M-S-E-T, dot org. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2021.